You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Global News has obtained surveillance video of an arrest back in 2017 at the commercial Broadway SkyTrain station that left a suspect with serious injuries. A warning, the video might be disturbing to some viewers. It led to charges of assault against three Vancouver police officers. Ramina Dea has the details. Six of the blows delivered in six seconds, says Crown Counsel. The suspect is suffering four broken ribs and a partially collapsed lung during his arrest. Three VPD officers, Constables Bo Spencer, Brandon Blue, and now retired Constable Gregory Jackson have pleaded not guilty to assault. Based on court evidence last month, David Cowie flees the scene on a bicycle after an alleged theft from a parkade. Constable Josh Wong, who is not facing any charges, tackles Cowie to the ground. He calls in a code three for cover, the most serious form of needing help. Three officers racing to assist. Constable Bo Spencer delivers multiple blows, including three punches and three knee strikes in six seconds, says Crown. Peter Campbell suggesting in between the first three punches and first two knee strikes, there is no assessment on whether the individual hits are effective. Spencer disagrees. He testifies he is assessing, but there's no change in Cowie's behavior. He's actively resisting. Campbell suggesting constables Spencer and Wong watched the CCTV footage a week after the incident, so Spencer can essentially justify the use of force. Spencer again disagrees. He tells the court their intentions were only to see if Cowie dropped anything. Earlier this year, officers Spencer and Wong testified at a coroner's inquest about their involvement in the arrest of Miles Gray in 2017. Gray died following an interaction with several officers which left him with catastrophic injuries. Police testified they felt their lives were on the line. No charges were laid against any officers. The OPCC is still investigating. In the SkyTrain arrest incident currently before the court, Constable Brandon Blue also testified Cowie was actively resisting arrest and fighting. His concern, Cowie could access a weapon. Constable Gregory Jackson questioned by Crown as to why he made no notes or entries in the police database about the incident. Jackson responded it was not a requirement. The trial continues in Vancouver Provincial Court next month. None of the allegations against the three officers have been proven in court. Romina Dea, Global News. The investigation into a disturbing undercover police training session has wrapped up. It began after officers who attended the training came forward alleging inappropriate behavior had taken place. Catherine Urquhart reports and a warning. The details of this story are disturbing. A year and a half ago, in May 2022, about two dozen officers from various BC police agencies took part in the BC Municipal Undercover Training Course at a downtown Vancouver hotel. Some of the content was so disturbing that officers reported it to their supervisors. Now, a criminal investigation into the matter has just wrapped up although details aren't yet being released. First, I obviously have to uh, be briefed on the report and on its findings. Uh, but, you know, I go back to my comments that I made when this uh, broke, uh, I think, in 2022, that I thought the allegations were disturbing and disgusting. During the BC Municipal Undercover Training Course, 
Officers were asked to role play and show how they might convince those on the wrong side of the law that they weren't police officers. In one instance, this allegedly involved defecation on another individual, food used in a sexual manner, along with other even more perverse acts. A police act investigation into the matter will now resume. It involves 19 respondent officers from eight municipal police departments. The Office of the Police Complaint Commissioner says Vancouver Police will conduct the investigation and West Vancouver Chief John Lowe will be the discipline authority. According to the OPCC, witnesses in the matter will be identified by investigators. Obviously we have to go forward in terms of what the, uh, the report says and what the OPC, the Office of Police Complaints Commissioner, uh, has to say. BC Solicitor General and Public Safety Minister says he'll have more to say in the coming days including his reaction to the findings of a criminal investigation into BC's municipal undercover training course. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Charges are being considered following a raid today on multiple storefronts in Vancouver selling magic mushrooms. Kristen Robinson is live with more on the busts and Kristen VPD say psilocybin and other psychedelics were seized. Chris, the VPD alleges psychedelic drugs were being sold out of three locations, including the Coca Leaf Cafe behind me, which remains shuttered tonight. Now, as part of an ongoing criminal investigation, search warrants were executed on the storefront at 651 East Hastings and two others on West Broadway and Granville Street. The VPD seizing a variety of drugs it believes were being bought and sold in bulk quantities to walk-in customers. The VPD says it's cracking down on the illegal sale of illicit psychedelic drugs and will consider recommending charges. The East Hastings location has been operating for three years, according to Dana Larson, who owns the three dispensaries. Larson was taken into custody Custody, but not before he posted a video to social media as the raids were unfolding. So this is pretty surprising and if you believe in uh, progressive drug policy then this is a real uh, setback for the city of Vancouver. I, I think that this is uh, a heavy-handed approach engaged in by police after years of inaction. I think that it's going to harm sick people that rely on access to these substances to deal with chronic and um, critical ailments. The reality is these substances are not legal. They are controlled drugs and substances under the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act. Uh, we are a country of uh, laws uh, and it's our role as uh, police to uphold uh, the laws and make sure that the laws are enforced. Now, today's raids come exactly one week after the VPD raided the offices of the Drug User Liberation Front and arrested two people at their homes. The advocacy group had been testing illegally acquired heroin, cocaine and meth and distributing and supplying the drugs to a small group of users during the toxic drug crisis. Chris? Kristen Robinson reporting in Vancouver. Thanks, Kristen. Well, the B.C. Coroner Service is urging the province to allow access to a safer supply of drugs without a prescription for people at significant risk of dying from toxic drugs. It comes as the latest data shows 175 people in B.C. died from toxic drug overdoses in September alone. That amounts to an average of just under six deaths each day. Grace Key has more on the push to expand access to safe supply. 
The amount of deaths from the toxic drug supply continues to be a crisis. The fastest way to reduce deaths, according to one panel, do away with prescriptions when it comes to safer supplies. Safer supply is not a radical initiative. It's a means to keep people alive and to support them to wellness. It's a means to reduce our loved ones' dependency on a toxic, profit-driven, illicit drug market. It is life support. The recommendation comes from the BC Coroner's Service Death Review Panel. More than 13,000 British Columbians have died from unregulated drugs since a public health emergency was first declared in April 2016. Despite the numbers, the recommendation isn't getting any support from the NDP or BC United. Any model that looks at um, uh, withdrawing uh, uh, medical oversight from that process is, uh, is not a direction that we're moving in. We think the healthcare system has a very important role to play in supporting individuals who are struggling with addiction. We need to continue to address it as a medical issue and recognize the importance of continuing to include uh, medical practitioners, particularly those with significant expertise in addictions. The Ministry of Mental Health and Addictions released a letter from Whiteside during the press conference, rejecting the recommendation, catching the chief coroner off guard. It's disappointing. Uh, we, you know, the panels are impartial, objective. Uh, they're not political. They are uh, not swayed by ideology. Uh, we ask them to come with their experience and their expertise. The panel noted that while as many as 225,000 British Columbians are estimated to use unregulated substances, fewer than 5,000 per month receive safer supply prescriptions. The panel believes urgent access to a safer supply is one important step in keeping people alive. Grace Key, Global News. Well, it's been three years since fireworks were outlawed in the city of Vancouver, but despite the ban, it was a pretty noisy Halloween night and a busy time for police and firefighters, too. And while there were a couple of scary and dangerous incidents, first responders say they were called to far fewer serious incidents than they have been in past years. Angela Jung reports. Watch closely to the left of your screen. Without warning, Roman candles are fired at these young trick-or-treaters. I heard the screaming and that was overshadowed by the sound of the explosion. Cliff Smith lives nearby and recorded the incidents on his security cameras. He's fuming after witnessing the horrifying incidents on Hastings near Templeton Drive. It made me very angry. I don't want people to feel comfortable coming into my neighborhood and hurting anybody. That's inexcusable. I mean, there was young children there. The terrified trick-or-treaters run away. Police say no one was hurt. Firefighters say fireworks, like any explosive, are dangerous. One year, uh, an individual lost their eye um, from getting hit struck with it and even the people who are lighting it there's a number of occurrences where people had them go off in their hands. Fireworks have been banned in Vancouver for three years now but that doesn't stop people from setting them off even in the middle of a crowd. Gaggles of revelers in the city's entertainment district but overall police say people were well behaved. There were some minor incidents, there were some few arrests, but all in all it was a good night. It was, uh, we had extra officers deployed throughout the city keeping uh, the city safe. In another incident, fireworks also smashed through this window at the Moberly Arts and Cultural Center in South Vancouver. Thankfully, no fire inside, uh, but uh, there is a potential there for sure. He says fireworks should never be directed at buildings and people. Angela Jung, Global News. 
In the face of an affordable housing crisis, the B.C. government is moving ahead with plans to get more missing middle housing built. New provincial legislation will require local governments to update zoning bylaws, allowing more density and speeding up home building. Richard Zussman has the details. It's a familiar story told across BC. And it's unfortunate that um, myself and my husband, as well as friends of ours within the community, are finding it very hard to find adequate housing. A trend the government is trying to change. Starting next June, a single family lot smaller than 280 square meters can be home to three units. A lot 280 square meters and larger can be turned into four. And if that same lot is close to major transit, it can be six units. This only applies to communities with 5,000 people or more. These measures will instead create housing options for growing families, for seniors hoping to downsize, and first-time home buyers who can't find a home that meets the needs of their budget. The changes will end site-by-site -site rezoning decisions and the public meetings that come with it. Public meetings will continue for community plans where the zoning decisions will be made. The bottom line is municipalities are getting the housing if they like it or not. We're not going to see a dramatic change overnight. It's going to create a, a diverse range of housing types. Housing experts are applauding the province's move, which also includes legalizing secondary suites in all jurisdictions, but cautions the change could lead to a lack of schools, hospitals and parking. The infrastructure is going to come in slowly and needs to be paid for, paid out slowly, like, well, like a maintenance fee on any strata. The province is hoping big lots like this one will be split, flooding the market with housing and driving down the price. But experts say the opposite could happen as well. Should interest rates decline and money become cheap again, that uh, you, you perhaps see the role of speculation uh, happen before any real construction occurs. When you rezone a large area, not just a small pocket in a community, but large areas across uh, a region, the land lift is actually very small compared to what it would be if one property had been rezoned. A theory that will be tested once the sale signs start going up. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Vancouver City Council has voted to loosen the requirements for the long-delayed Little Mountain housing project. Fifteen years in the making, some councillors say it will help accelerate the drawn-out development. But as Troy Charles reports, others believe it gives the developer too much leverage. The letter that we received from BC Housing is very clear. Um, the developer will be unable to get the necessary financing to move this project forward. Consider it done. With a 6-3 vote, ABC Vancouver has granted the Holborn Group's wish to lift the holds on occupancy permits on Phase 1 and 2 at the stalled Little Mountain development. Holborn's president, Ju Kim Tia, attended today's meeting. He says he has not been able to borrow money for the project because of the contract requirement to build 282 units of social housing before getting started on the 1,400 market condos. I need to get the social housing done because I, you know, it's a requirement under my obligation to the province. Right? If I don't get the social housing done, I don't get to repay the province what I owe them. Right? So I'm motivated to build the social housing. Concerns were raised whether this updated contract could negate the city's leverage to hold Holborn to their social housing requirements. But reassurances came from BC Housing, who supported city staff's recommendation and highlighted that holds still remain on phase three and four of the project.
I'm very pleased we're going to be able to get this project moving forward. It's been five council terms since this original deal was done between the province, the city and the landowner. It's taken far too long. Now the sign outside the development says great stories take time to write and this story is in its 15th year and skeptics are concerned we aren't anywhere near the final chapter. The public has no reason to trust Holborn anymore. Councillor Christine Boyle was adamantly opposed to today's report. I am skeptical um, that they are now going to put the public interest ahead of their own profit. Afterwards, she was actually approached by Tia. He offered a meeting between the two to help clear the air. Boyle said she has many questions. Troy Charles, Global News. A big announcement today from the Prime Minister about former B.C. Premier John Horgan. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on Horgan's newest title. Keith? Yeah, it sort of came out of the blue today, out of nowhere. John Horgan, now Canada's ambassador to Germany. Uh, even back just when he retired in November, he was talking about potentially becoming an ambassador to Ireland. That's where his parents are from. So he let the prime minister know he's willing to serve Canada. No interviews from Mr. Horgan today. We did text each other, though, and I asked him, does this mean we now have to call him Herr Horgan, which, of course, is German for Mr. And he texted back, and you can see in you know, a picture of Mr. Horgan. He said, sadly, it's more like no Herr Horgan. So, again, a thinning hairline. Uh, largely as a result of his uh, recent bout with uh, throat cancer. But best of luck to him. Uh, the Prime Minister tweeting uh, the appointment, saying he brings uh, a wealth of public service to the job. And David Eby, the Premier, also tweeting his congratulations to him. So again, Mr. Horgan, with his wife Ellie, off to Germany to be Canada's new ambassador. And still cracking jokes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Keith. A death in hockey reverberates around the world. The NHL says it's still discussing making neck guards mandatory after Adam Johnson was killed by a skate blade. But the WHL isn't waiting. Major developments to protect young players coming up next on the NewsHour. A new future for the West End waterfront. Why experts say it needs to undergo radical redevelopment later. And an Australian study recommends a safety alert for electric vehicles traveling on ferries. Why it might not be the danger the study says it is, according to local experts, coming up. First, though, a freak accident that led to the tragic death of a former NHLer in England has led to renewed calls for mandatory net guards at all levels of hockey. The guards are a requirement for younger players, and even the WHL announced today it'll adopt them. But as Janet Brown reports, some hockey leagues are making their own decisions. It was a skate that cut the neck of Adam Johnson, causing his death. And now one Vancouver Island hockey team is trying to prevent it from happening again. They've already ordered the neck guards and everything, so they're on their way now and the players will be in home right away. It's a good step in the right direction. We should be wearing neck guards um, to prevent anything that could happen like that ever. Neck guards are not a universal requirement across the sport. BC Hockey says member teams and leagues at the junior or senior levels are constantly assessing safety and additional policies around neck protection are being discussed. They say we are encouraged to see some junior teams have already taken steps to require the use of neck guards. It's definitely evolving and changing to make games safer. You know, we're making big strides in uh, preventing concussions. We're making big strides in preventing skate cuts. I would think it should be mandated in our league. Um, I think that the sport is, is hockey's played at a high, high speed. 
Uh, the skates are sharp. This is a net guard. It costs $30. However, many hockey players I've talked to say they don't like wearing it because number one, it's uncomfortable. And secondly, they say it doesn't look good. It's not cool. If the net guard's a part of the equipment moving forward, I said, and everyone's wearing it, it, it shouldn't, it shouldn't really, you know, there shouldn't be any judgment on that. As the Saanich Predators load up their bus and get ready for weekend games wearing neck guards, the players feel other teams in their league will soon be doing the same. It's unique for our team for doing it for the first ones, but I think uh, most teams will follow us and probably wear neck guards too to prevent any other injuries like that. Late this afternoon, the Western Hockey League announced mandatory neck guards for all players during games and practices beginning Friday. And the NHL says it is strongly recommending players use neck guards going forward. Janet Brown, Global News. Coming up, dog, uh, dog owners have to adapt to new rules. The flexi leads, I just feel like the dogs get a little bit too far out. The BC city banning retractable leashes later on the news hour. But first in Consumer Matters, why now is a good time to shop for major appliances. Traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Patello Bridge, but keep in mind there are full lane closures overnight for a bridge inspection. That's ongoing from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. Today's Lotto 649 gold ball jackpot is $28 million plus a classic $5 million jackpot. Two jackpots on every draw. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. An important weather warning about freezing rain and snow impacting parts of our province. We're getting into that time of year again. Senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now. Christy, who could get the worst of this? Well, it's all across the southern interior regions, Chris, highlighting these areas here. So what we're really hoping is that you can avoid travel tonight and tomorrow morning. It will be much better tomorrow afternoon. We have a risk of freezing rain. In fact, there's a freezing rain warning extending from the South Thompson region right down into the Nicola area, and it includes the main highways, the Coquihalla all the way up to Kamloops, the Connector, as well as Allison Pass. Now, we're also expecting some snow mixed in it, so it's going to be a mess out there. That's tonight, tomorrow morning. And all of these areas highlighted in green have the potential for 5 to 10 centimeters of snow with a risk of freezing rain. Again, tonight, tomorrow morning, avoid travel in these areas. Chris, Soph, back to you. Appreciate the warning. Thanks very much, Christy. Well, not long ago, supply chain issues and chip shortages caused a major shortage of large appliances. But there's much more choice now. As consumer reporter Ann Druis shows us, that's good news for consumers looking for a bargain. We have pretty much every model available now versus before you would kind of just not have an option as to what you want. How the experience for shopping for a new appliance has changed. At Appliance Outlet in Vancouver, the last time we spoke with owner Lazar Elich, he was dealing with the burden of supply chain issues. Fast forward two years later, a much different situation. Well, inventory has definitely corrected itself. Most of the suppliers have fulfilled any back orders that they have. Supply chain has definitely fixed itself. And so have prices, which is good news for buyers. With more inventory available, appliance prices, Lazar says, naturally must come down too. Market pricing for, for the appliance industry, it looks that it's, it's changed about 15 to 20% from it was two years ago. So your average appliance, if it was $1,000, you could probably get the same appliance today for around $800. 
But even with that type of price difference, consumers are cautious. According to Stats Canada, retail sales for household appliances are down. Our forecast would be that major appliance sales this year will be generally down probably 15 to 20 percent on the year. Consumers are focused on making sure they have their everyday needs and that's not unexpected and that means that items that are not essential, those purchases are put off. And that's hitting businesses like Lazar's where he estimates his business is down between 15 and 20 percent compared to last year. Rather than upgrading an entire kitchen during these times, mostly people are looking to just replace a stove that has broken or a fridge that has broken. Still, it's a good time of year to strike a good deal. Why I say now is the time to buy is because when the traffic is the lowest, that's when the stores are most keen on getting you those appliances and giving you the best deal that they possibly can. Andrewa, Global News. The municipality of Saanich on Vancouver Island is banning retractable leashes for dogs. In an overwhelming vote, councillors voted to stop what they call safety risks posed by that type of leash. But those on the opposite side of the argument say not enough consultation was done. Kylie Stanton reports. Good girl, sit. There's a reward on the other side Stay. of every command. Are you ready to go for your walk? But some dog owners here in Saanich aren't planning to be quite as obedient. Good girl. When it comes to the new rules around leashing. I think it's a bit heavy-handed. Uh, I would like to move an amendment, Mr. Mayor. On Monday, while discussing the people, pets, and park strategy, a Saanich councillor introduced an amendment to ban retractable leashes, citing safety concerns. Retractable leashes are generally dangerous to both pe people, pets, and the environment. The amendment passed with a vote of 8 to 1. Those in favour? The mayor being the only dissenting position. One of the consequences of that decision is that it also means in all areas of Saanich, you wouldn't be able to use a retractable leash. For now, there's still a big seller here at Mr. Pets. And then you release the button. But there are alternatives. We have our rope leashes, as well as tracking and training leashes. So they can go that route instead. And while there is support for the decision... If they go around the back of you, they, they can cut your leg or, or trip you. And then if you need to pull them in in a hurry, you're going fishing. Do you want your ball? Others are unleashing their frustration, saying the amendment was introduced without any public consultation and are calling on council to retract the retractable leash motion. Take it away, go back to the original wording, and if you think it needs to be changed, do the research to find out why and what needs to be different. Council has an opportunity to, uh, to take a second look at the change if people are feeling that this was maybe something that was done too hastily. I certainly would, would join folks in reconsideration of that particular item. A vote to finalize the strategy is set for next Monday. <laughs> Kelly Stanton, Global News. Coming up, a new study suggesting EVs are a threat to BC ferries why it singles out electric vehicles and how local EV experts are pouring cold water on the study's conclusions next. Also coming up, the pilot program putting paramedics in charge of the clinic at this supportive housing complex and how it's really paying off.
Extra busy for northbound traffic here on Highway 99 to the Massey Tunnel after clearing an earlier crash northbound over at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Everybody came here as an alternate route. Today's Lotto 649 Gold Ball Jackpot is $28 million plus a classic $5 million jackpot. Two jackpots on every draw. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, the hive of Highway 99 and the Massey Tunnel. A new report from an Australian government agency outlines the potential hazards to ferries posed by battery-powered electric vehicles. But as Cassidy Moscone reports, one EV association says the report is nothing more than fear-mongering. British Columbians are taking the wheel of electric vehicles faster than any other province in Canada. Government data reveals in 2022, EVs made up 18% of all new passenger vehicles sold in BC, with registrations skyrocketing up 1,900% in the past six years. So it's no doubt we're seeing more of them on board BC ferries. Amid the increased popularity, a new Australian report is raising questions around the safety of EVs travelling our floating highways. Authorities identifying a raft of risks, fires, toxic gas and explosions on the list, along with significant recommendations including identification, designated parking and specific training for crew members. AV experts here disagree. This whole report and everything seems like a whole lot of uh, trying to create a lot of public fear, uncertainty and doubt. And they say EVs pose no greater risk than a standard internal combustion engine. Any vehicle you put on fire right now, the interior, all the cabling, all the wire looms are covered in a uh, an exotic cocktail of chemicals which are all bad for humans. BC Ferries uh, has a, their own uh, firefighting protocols dealing with the intensity and the quick burn of a, a AV battery fire should one happen. Never had one. Um, it's unlikely, uh, but um, certainly that problem is known to regulators like Transport Canada. Transport Canada told Global News it hasn't issued any safety advisories to ferry operators. If your car is insured and road safe, it can travel on BC ferries. Cassidy Moscone, Global News. A supportive housing group in Surrey is touting the benefits of a program that makes paramedics readily available to residents. It's the only clinic of its kind in BC. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, there's evidence it not only improves residents' health, it's saving the healthcare system a lot of money. It's a routine clinic visit for a resident at Tent Coon Tower. People who live in this Surrey complex can drop in any Wednesday where paramedics look after their basic healthcare needs. The clinic has been running here since 2021 as part of a study funded by McMaster University. BC Emergency Health Services provides the care. Options Community Services provides the space in its building. It's the only supportive housing complex in the province where residents have access to a dedicated health service like this. We've had clients that have come through and residents coming through telling us that they've never accessed healthcare before and that this has been a really great opportunity for them to get service and support. The clinic on site has made a huge difference in residents' health. According to a study, there have been 10 fewer 911 calls per month at this complex or about 38% fewer calls than a typical complex of this size. And it's resulted in savings to the healthcare system of nearly $450,000. 
a lot of people don't have a way to get to family doctors and a lot of people don't have family doctors. So for them, using 911 to get to the emergency room is just to meet their basic needs. Options is working on enhancing care further. An on-site pharmacy is opening in the near future. A pharmacist will deal with only the residents here. Options Housing believes this could be a model for supportive housing across the province. That means being able to provide primary care, all the other additional supports, uh, recreational activities, leisure activities, employment opportunities, all in-house because I think this population has been barriered and marginalized. Based on the results of the program, BCEHS believes there is a case to be made for this type of clinic to be expanded across the province. Resources allocated to this type of program not only improving health outcomes for residents, but freeing up emergency resources to deal with more serious medical situations. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Still ahead, waterfront transformation. People love this as a place of respite in the off season, and it's also a really exciting and fun place in the summer. The changes necessary to help Vancouver survive climate change. And coming up in sports, the Whitecaps work to patch a major hole in their defense in their playoff series with LAFC. It's going to feel like winter in some parts of the province very quickly. Christy? That's right. Thanks so much, you two. So, yeah, recap, avoid travel tonight to early tomorrow morning. All of these areas in green, 5 to 10 centimeters of snow with a risk of freezing rain. And the areas in blue here or teal have uh, the potential for significant freezing rain. Again, freezing rain can come in patches and it can be covered up by snow. Sometimes you can't see it. So avoid travel tonight, tomorrow morning. Tomorrow afternoon will be much better. Here's a look. So the system will move in from the west. It's bringing heavy rain to the south coast area. And it's that milder air with the rainfall that's moving in over the colder air down below. And that brings in that risk of freezing rain. So this is the overnight period. You can see a lot of pink in there with that potential. It shifts further north into the afternoon hours. And these areas here will warm up. A transition to showers is expected. And we'll see that across the south coast as well, even though uh, we will see significant snow through these areas here throughout the day. Again, moving from the southwest across the province to the northeast. There's your forecast for your Thursday, everyone. A transition to milder air, so a transition to rain during the day. You'll see some wet snow in the morning or that risk of freezing rain. The biggest concern is the Coquihalla, the Connector, as well as Allison Pass tonight, tomorrow morning. For our region, heavy rain overnight and early tomorrow morning. We'll see it ease to just a chance of showers in the afternoon. Fraser Valley, though, I'm not expecting much sunshine, but there's a chance we could see a peak across Metro Vancouver. All right, tonight's Central Windows weather window coming to you from Port Moody. I love this and I had to share it, of course. Atmospheric River, you've got your forecaster, your rainbow, a tornado, and I think that's a sun or a star in the top uh, left there. Thank you so much to Chanel Harrison for sharing that fun photo wow. with us. A weather forecast family. All right, thanks, <laughs> Christy. Great. Love it. Okay. All right, we do have some sad news to pass along for us here at Global BC and a lot of viewers too. We've lost part of our team, a face that might be familiar to our longtime viewers. Doriana Temelo died early this morning from breast cancer. She was 64 years old. Doriana was a trailblazer, starting her journalism career in the late 1970s. Among her many roles, she anchored BCTV's Noon Show and worked with Bill Good on Canada Tonight. She was also part of the team that launched Global National back in 2001. Doriana leaves behind her husband Mike, her children and grandchildren, and we're thinking of all of them tonight. Certainly are. Yeah, she was a great addition to our newsroom. 
condolences as, to the family. Yes, as great a person as she was a journalist. Mm -hmm. And she had a great family. Mike so. worked here as well. So mm -hmm. she will be missed. Yeah. Um, what have you got coming up, Squire? Well, the uh, Canucks beat Nashville 5-2 last night. But it did not impress Rick Tockett. I think we understand that we have to play a certain way. And that's, tonight's not the way. If we want to, you know, build, build this thing. Tockett thought his team was too loose and reverted back to bad habits from last year. Also tonight. There's a roller rink. There's a skateboard facility. New attractions for the West End waterfront and how you can have your say about it later. Sophie just said it's almost Christmas. Does that seem... It just feels like <laughs> it. You know, time goes by really fast these days. That's true. That's what Apparently. I'm That's all I'm saying. Can it go by so fast that it'll feel like summer soon? That'd that would be nice. nice. <laughs> that would be nice. Yeah. Like right. the playoff, playoff season, maybe? Well, you, yeah. You, well, spring, then, if you want to do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Elias Pedersen was happy he scored three goals last night against Nashville. Quinn Hughes was happy he had a good game, and they won. JT Miller was happy he scored after being benched for a while for taking bad penalties, and Canucks Nation was happy with a 5-2 win over Nashville. But head coach Rick Tockett had a different opinion. Apparently, the coach is a one-man tough crowd. Yeah, obviously we're happy to win. Obviously, that's not our brand of hockey. It was, uh, you know, I thought we were pretty loose. Even Elias Pettersson's second career hat trick wasn't enough to escape the coach's attention to being sound defensively. Yeah, he was turning the puck over a lot, though. Uh, I, him getting three goals, I liked that part, but he was, he was one of the culprits of, of turning the puck over. Um, we got to make sure that, uh, you know, he knows it. Um, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a great game for us, identity-wise. And Tockett didn't like JT Miller losing his cool in the first period and getting a four-minute penalty and then taking another two-minute penalty in the second period. After this penalty... He was benched until the third. I mean, I, I think it, it makes everybody know they're accountable. You know, whether it's JT Miller or Pedersen or, you know, Hoggy or it doesn't matter. I think it's important. But Miller did score in the third period and earned Tockett's praise for how he bounced back. He's an emotional leader for this team. You know, it's, we're a quiet team. You know, and I think sometimes we all give him crap sometimes because he's got to draw the motion for a lot of our guys. And, um, you know, sometimes he's going to go over the edge and he got back and he's fine. But for the Canucks to be fine with Tockett, they can't be winning ugly. I guess the point I'm trying to make is that you got to let the game come to you. Sometimes we try to hit a home run every shift and that's why you get this river hockey sometimes. Um, and we got to be careful that that doesn't, that's not winning hockey. Tomorrow they take on San Jose, the worst team in the NHL. You know what's not winning soccer? Being weak on corner kicks and free kicks. And the Whitecaps were dazed and confused on set pieces against LAFC in game one of their best of three, which is why they got blown out last weekend. It was as clear as day for all of us to see, and it cost the Vancouver Whitecaps dearly. Set piece defending, something the Caps side struggled with earlier in the season, reared its ugly head at the most inopportune time. Giving up one set-piece goal in the playoffs is tough, but the Caps conceded three against LAFC. And if you're wondering how and why that happens, you're not alone. Well, I didn't like two things. The first thing is the origin of it. Okay, We conceded 12 
corner kicks and four or five uh, wide free kicks, it's too much. So it means that uh, uh, our defending that is very normally very good at uh, winning ball mid-block, we weren't able to do it. We were So we were always in a kind of a... I don't want to say emergency, but defending too too close to our goal, and so you concede opportunity to them. Of course, when you concede so many goals and set pieces, it's disappointing, especially when you work on it during training. But you know, this is the game is such a game of fine lines, and anything can come into play. And unfortunately, it was set pieces, and that's obviously something we'll focus and narrow on this week, and um, and hopefully on Sunday we'll head in our favor. The guy who could and should have a big hand in the Caps' fortunes is keeper Yohei Takioka. Takioka's had his moments this season, good and bad. He needs to take command of the box and have a stronger net presence using his hands better and also try to elevate more cutting off crosses before they find their way into the back of the Whitecaps net. He had probably an unfortunate mistake on the fourth goal, to be honest. Like We need, we need to be completely honest. But we need also to analyze the season of UA of 43, 44 games that he played. I think he was extremely good in the first part of the season. Then he had a five or six games when uh, he went down a little bit, then he went up again. So yeah, he's a player that uh, he's always honest and conscious of what he can do more. He works a lot. So yeah, you know, we're happy with him and uh, I'm sure that uh, he will bounce back and win a great game on Sunday. He better. Mm -hmm. uh, Pierre Dorian, no longer the GM of the Ottawa Senators. They've parted ways today and the Raiders fired head coach Josh McDaniels and GM Dave Ziegler today. Okay, thanks, Squire. Up next, transforming the Vancouver waterfront to take on climate change. Jordan Armstrong is here now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, Harrison Hot Springs has declared a local state of emergency. The reason two of three water pumps at the water treatment plant have failed. We'll hear from the mayor at 11. Plus, the fee increases coming next week at WestJet. Which customers will pay more and how much tonight? We're also keeping an eye on the Coquihalla Highway. As Christy mentioned, a freezing rain warning is in effect. Sophie? All right, thanks for that, Jordan. The West End waterfront is one of Vancouver's most recognizable areas, but over the next three decades, it could get a complete makeover. The city has released its draft plan for the area between the Burrard Bridge and the entrance to Stanley Park with some ambitious goals. And as Alyssa Thibault reports, now they want your input. The iconic English Bay bathhouse reimagined and improved. The lookout with the famous Top of the World Monument transformed to include a pavilion. All ideas in the city's new 30-year plan. This is reimagining the West End waterfront all the way from the Burrard Street Bridge to the entrance of Stanley Park. The multi-year, multi-million dollar project has finally reached the draft proposal stage, with city planners now seeking public feedback. The plan includes more amenities like a skate park, playgrounds and sports courts. This entire intersection at Denman and Beach Avenue will be reimagined. The road here will be disappearing and this section will feature a splash pad, a welcome centre and a cafe. And Beach Avenue just before Stanley Park could return to two-way vehicle traffic. But perhaps the most important aspect is weatherproofing against climate change. In the next 80 years, sea levels are expected to rise one metre. So that's how high the beaches will be lifted. What it does mean is filling the lands, finding a rock, 
sand soil to raise the land so that they're above that sea level rise. The rocky, solid seawall will also be replaced in sections, sitting above the water instead with the addition of two habitat islands. Habitat islands well, are dual purpose, habitat that can be exclusive for the creatures that need it and also have an aspect of foreshore protection. So there'll be some rockery on the outside helping to shelter kind of the English Bay beaches here where we're standing today. $10 million has been allocated for phase one of construction, but planners say they don't know yet what that will be. And the final price tag hasn't been calculated. Funding for that will be allocated through capital plans over the next 30 years. This is a really big project, a big um, expensive project, but we're going to spread it over 30 years and, uh, and fund it that way. Yeah. Are you excited about this? You can tell I am. <laughs> the draft plan is open for feedback until the end of the month. The final concept design will be presented to council in the spring. Alyssa Thibault, Global News. I mean, it's a beautiful stretch of waterfront. Sure is. Will be when they're yeah. done, too, no doubt about it. But, uh, yeah, that's a mm -hmm. big change they're talking about. No kidding. All right. Well, it would be uh, much might be better long... than it being underwater. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, right? Yeah. <laughs> We've got to do what we can to protect it. Um, yeah. Long way from sitting out on the beach, I guess, the next little while here, Christy. That's for sure. Again, a heads up to travelers. It is important that you avoid the Coca-Cola Connector and Allison Pass tonight and tomorrow morning. Far better for travel tomorrow afternoon. Meanwhile, Metro Vancouver, get ready for heavy rain. We could see some pooling water on the roads into tomorrow morning, so slow down for your early morning commute. All right, will do. Thanks very much, Christy. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. Good night, all.